with all of the drama and hormones and everything that goes along with that. Um, eventually became sexually active at age 15. And then I became pregnant at 16, almost 17. And I remember really struggling with my parents and, and how I was going to tell them. But my mom found out and she confronted me. And to my surprise, she asked me if I wanted to have an abortion. I'm Rush Witt, and you're listening to Straight to the Heart, a podcast from New Growth Press. Each episode includes thought-provoking conversations with leading Christian writers and thinkers. We hear who they are, what they believe, how they approach their work in ministry, and the moments and people who have changed their lives. In Straight to the Heart, we go beyond the books to connect with the remarkable people behind them. I want to give you fair warning. This episode is heavy. Camille Cates is a public speaker and author whose testimony reaches out to those who are desperately seeking hope and healing from their own personal tragedies, in particular abortion. And that's what makes this episode heavy. In this episode, Camille shares her story of hardship and suffering as a young woman, including her own history with abortion. And yet her story is an incredible testimony to God's grace and help in the face of sin and suffering. Today, Camille and her husband, Troy, have three children and live in the Cincinnati area. This is Straight to the Heart. How are things in Florence, Kentucky? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I live in Florence, Kentucky, the northern Kentucky area. Um, I always like to let people know it's basically a suburb of Cincinnati, Ohio. And um, we actually have the Cincinnati airport um, in our in our state. So um, anyway, yeah, I go to um, Grace Fellowship Church and my pastor is Brad Bigney. And uh, so we've been there for, gosh, over a decade now and really have just grown spiritually. Um, I love the practical application of the word that we're encouraged to do um, in real life. So, yeah, it's great. That's so great. I really appreciate uh, Brad Bigney and have always enjoyed the time that I've gotten to talk with him and spend with him. Uh, always an encouragement. So uh, yeah, I echo yes, everything you're saying. Yeah. About your church and, uh, and, and all of that. Well, t- tell me more about your family and the ministry that you're doing there. I'd love to hear more about that. Sure. Well, um, so I'm married. Um, my husband's Troy. We've been married. We just celebrated 28 years of marriage by God's grace. There's always a story behind that, but that's another um, that's another tale for the, another time. Um, and then we have three grown children. Uh, our oldest is 25, and we have an adopted daughter from China. She's 20, and then a biological son who's 20. So they're all grown. Um, that that has given me um, some time, I guess, back in. In my years now that I'm kind of done with the parenting and training. Um, but yeah, so that's my family. As far as ministry, uh, I uh, serve alongside my husband. He's a community group leader in our church and also uh, take part in biblical counseling at our church. Um, usually get called in to help with more of the um, traumatic cases. Uh, maybe it's a marital case that where um, there's been some abuse or 
maybe an abortion in the past or um, just some trauma that uh, maybe the, the wife seems stuck in. Uh, but I've also ministered to single women and young women. Uh, I really love the energy from uh, teenagers and, and young women and really want to pour into them. So that's kind of um, a nutshell of ministry. Do it a lot of uh, consulting with other counselors. Maybe they're new in, uh, to biblical counseling and they um, have a hard case and they just want somebody to talk it through with them. So that's, that's a lot of what I get to do and I'm thankful. Yeah, that's really great. I love hearing about that. And I know, obviously, I know that you also do a lot of work with post-abortive care. And uh, and I wonder if you could tell me more about that and how that became central to your life and uh, how that ministry has grown out of your own story. Sure. Well, I was in a point where I needed um, ministry after a, an abortion that I had as a young woman. A um, little bit more of my backstory. I grew up in the church. Um, I wouldn't say I I was a good church kid. <laughs> um, I was probably average, probably very typical. Uh, my parents were involved in leadership in the church. So I was there a lot. Um, you know, every, gosh, we used to have discipleship training on Sunday nights for those that remember that. And so I was up there a lot, um, hearing a lot about the Bible and Jesus and Bible stories. Um, so I always kind of thought of those as those superhero stories. And then I grew up and read the mm-hmm. Bible for myself yeah. and yeah. figured out they're really messed up people just like us. Mm. They're sinners and, and suffering sinners and right. um, have a lot of commonality. So I love um, now getting to share a lot of um, good counsel out of those biblical narratives. But um, so anyway, I I actually came to know the Lord when I was age 12 and um, really loved Jesus. I got the gospel. I, I was at a youth camp and heard somebody uh, really preach the gospel where I got it for the first time and understood that I was a sinner at age 12 and that Jesus died on the cross for me to have eternal life with him. And so um, I received salvation at that point, but I went back home after camp and I was still not a good church kid. So I just didn't have a whole lot of discipleship um, looking back in my life, which is why I'm passionate a lot of times about youth ministry and, you, you know, discipling our teens and helping them get to the real problems that they're facing in their lives and in, in the culture and help them see that the Bible has real answers for real life. So what do you anyway, mean you weren't a good church kid when you came back? What were you like? I loved Jesus, but I didn't know really what else to do with him. So, you know, on Sundays I'd be in Sunday school, you know, raising my hand and answering questions and kind of digging in. But during the week at school, and I feel a lot of students um, are this way, they just kind of then compartmentalized Jesus and and didn't really make him central um, to everyday life, didn't have anybody to, to teach me how to do that. Um, so when I was in high school, I, I, you know, I was boy crazy from the time I was little. And by the time I got to high school, with all of the drama and hormones and everything that goes along with that, um, I eventually became sexually active. 
at age 15. And then I became pregnant at 16, almost 17. And I remember really struggling with my parents and and how I was going to tell them. But my mom found out and she confronted me. And to my surprise, she asked me if I wanted to have an abortion. And at that time, I, I, I was just adamant. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I, you know, I know that having sex outside of marriage is wrong, but this is really wrong. That was my thinking at the time. So I don't want to do that. And she said, well, we'll support you. We'll help you. Well, what was your understanding of abortion at that age uh, in terms oh, of what God. your concept and your, you know, when you think, when you thought of what that would mean or entail? Yeah. Did that play into how you thought about it? I knew I knew that it would be ending the life of my baby. I knew that. I mean, it was, you know, 16, almost 17 at that time. So I knew that that's what abortion was. Um, I just knew that that's not what I wanted. I don't know that I had the good. I don't know. It's funny, you know, when we think about theology and practical theology, um, you know, I think I. I really knew deep down the truth um, that it's a life and it's a life that God created. I don't know that I really understood the sanctity of life surrounding um, all life, uh, all human life being made in the image of God. So I didn't have that piece, but I knew enough to know this is, this would be wrong. This would be displeasing to God. And so I, I turned away from that option. And like I said, I, thankfully, my parents were um, gracious to support. Um, I graduated high school early, started college, um, and had my daughter. And, you know, I started college and I was just really still struggling because even though my parents were supportive, still there wasn't anybody coming alongside me to help with discipleship and to help kind of challenge me on some of my choices and point me to Christ and point me to a deeper relationship with him. So I just really struggled. I did get back into church. I was out of church for a while, got back into church um, with my daughter, but I really just did not have any discipleship on relationships and what a godly relationship would be like. So I just, when I started dating again, um, I became sexually active very quickly and very quickly became pregnant again. And I think How old the reality at, at that time, yeah, I, at that time I was, I would have been right around 18, 17, 18, late 17 and 18. And so it wasn't very, I mean, my daughter was 10 months old at the time. So she wasn't even a, a year old yet. And here I am pregnant again and thinking, oh my gosh, I got to tell my parents again. What are they going to do? Did you do live and think? with your parents? You and your daughter live with your parents during college at that time? You went to college near nearby? Is that we, what? We did. I was going to school um, at a local um, community college, junior college, and living at home. But then um, I really wanted a lot of independence. I think some of my pride in there, you know, I'm. I'm a mom. I've got a baby. I really want to, I should be an, I'm an adult. I should move out and be on my own. So my parents kind of helped me move out on my own. I, looking back, that was a bad choice at the time. And, um, so I didn't really have a whole lot of people who could see what was going on in my, in my life. And, um, so I was living, living on my own with myself and my daughter 
and got involved in this relationship and became pregnant again. And um, unlike the first pregnancy, the guy didn't stick around at all. And we were not um, very serious, but this relationship seemed more serious. Um, You know, at first we were kind of excited about possibly having a baby. We were just young and foolish. And um, then we, we, my parents found out and they brought up abortion again. And I really started thinking about it and considering it, um, you know, with some of the pressure that they were putting on me about, you know, what are you going to do with Lauren? That's not fair to your daughter, you know, that you have. And um, you're really young, you know, you're working two part-time jobs, you're going to school full-time. He doesn't even have a job. Like, there's, there's not a real future here. And so that began to be the picture that was painted. It created a lot of doubt, you know, in my mind. Yeah, like maybe this isn't the right thing. Maybe I should consider this. And so the young man and I kind of talked about that idea. And we never really got to a, a deciding point at that time because um, he, he was watching her for me one night and he ended up sexually assaulting and shaking her to death. And I was at work when, when uh, that mm-hmm. happened, my mom came into my workplace and she said, you got to go come to the hospital. Something's happened to Lauren. And um, we kind of found out through the course of 24 hours, what had happened and that he had um, assaulted her and she was, she was legally brain dead. So. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. And I, you know, gosh, it's been over 30 years ago now and it's still, you know, it's, it's your, your kid and your child that you love. And, um, you know, so here I am in the hospital and, um, saying goodbye, uh, and I'm pregnant and, you know, my parents are, are, Coming at me again, I don't, I don't think we had even really left the hospital yet. And we're in the parking lot and they're bringing it up. Like, you, Camille, you've got to have an abortion now. You can't go through with this. And so, um, gosh, within about a course of a week, we um, had my daughter's funeral. We buried her. And four days later, I'm on a plane to uh, Dallas, Texas. We lived in Texas at the time and uh, up in Amarillo in the Panhandle. And I think my parents didn't want anybody to know um, in our hometown and or maybe they didn't provide services at the time. I don't know. So um, we went to to Texas, to Dallas, and I I had an abortion and my world just spiraled after that. I lost everything. My um, boyfriend at the time was arrested. Um, You know, I went back to live with my parents. I couldn't go back to the apartment at all. I never went back um, because I couldn't, couldn't stand, you know, that when you talk about trauma, um, you know, sometimes the places, the visuals and being in in a familiar place where something really horrible happened is, is really hard to go back to. So anyway, uh, you know, my life really spiraled after that. And I, I had been partying, uh, you know, kind of as a, a little bit of a party girl in high school, but really went off the deep end um, after that event. And my life just kind of spiraled for two years. And I knew, I knew that I had this relationship with the Lord. And um, 
I had moved away. I, you know, I, I just got to where I couldn't even stand being in my hometown. I moved away, moved, moved to um, actually Dallas, Fort Worth area. And I met up with the same kind of people that I'd been hanging around that were not a good influence on me. I was not a good influence on them either. And um, so we were, you know, I was just in this lifestyle of, I don't care anymore about my life. Like it's basically everything's been taken from me. So I'm just going to, you know, um, do whatever with that, whenever with whoever. And, um, but the Lord in his graciousness finally just helped me become sick of that, sick of that life. I knew um, it wasn't going to provide me any answers or any hope. And I ended up moving back home. And uh, while I was at home, God had brought a, a godly young man that I'd grown up with in church back into my life. Um, and we started hanging out again. And God just really used him and a, a growing love for me that God had given him uh, to really impact me. And so um, I ended up marrying him. And uh, he was uh, a youth pastor at the time and just graduated seminary. So um, all of a sudden we were kind of thrust into youth ministry, but I had this abortion in my background. I want to take this break to encourage you to read Camille's book, Moving Forward After Abortion. It's part of the Ask the Christian Counselor series, which walks readers through their deepest and most profound questions. In this book, Camille points women who may be facing hurt, confusion, and unanswered questions after an abortion to finding grace and mercy in God's love. As we've heard today, even though each woman's story is different, the challenges that follow an abortion can be similar. How can you find healing and renewal for where you are now? How do you process the variety of emotions you may be experiencing, such as anger, grief, or perhaps numbness? Camille has spent many years counseling women helping them to answer those questions. In moving forward after abortion, she helps you to see that God is forgiving, gracious, merciful, and loving, and offers comfort to those who come to him to experience restoration instead of brokenness. Reflecting on an abortion story can be intimidating, just as we've heard today, but you do not have to do it alone. God is near and plans to use your story for good. Visit NewGrowthPress.com to learn more about Moving Forward After Abortion by Camille Cates. It's amazing how often it seems like in really dark places. Your story is, is an incredible testimony of God's work in dark places, but you know, of how many people have lived dark seasons and ended up in prison uh, yeah. somewhere similar and the Lord uses those hardships to change them. And so that's absolutely something to pray for and, you know, lean into God's grace. That's. It wow. is. Yeah. You know, incredible. and I, a lot of people have asked me over the years, like how, how in the world could you ever forgive him? And on, only Jesus could allow this to happen in his, um, sovereign plan. But, you know, I, I remember in the very beginning sharing my testimony with, um, women's groups and 
you know, God really showing me, you know, Camille, yes, he, you know, he's sexually assaulted and, and murdered your daughter, but what did you do to his baby through abortion? You know, um, that is a, it's a violent uh, process. I had a surgical abortion. It was very, um, when you think about what happens to the baby is very violent and traumatic and um, yet that was his baby. And so I really, you know, had this glimpse of kind of seeing ourselves on even footing at the cross. And, you know, we know that all sin, all sin, whether it's, you know, abortion or murder or child molestation or lying or gossip or pr- our pride, the Bible says our pride is an abomination to the Lord. That's, that's serious wording. And so when the Lord looks at our sin, as an abomination to him, we're all kind of at that fitting. But for me, it was really helpful to really see us kind of um, at the same place and needing the the same measure of mercy and grace. So um, how could I not, you know, when you look at, um, I believe it's Matthew 18 that talks about the unforgiving servant. You know, when you look at that story and how the king was able to forgive this enormous debt from his servant, but then the servant goes out and punishes another servant trying to take it out on him for just a pittance um, in comparison of the amount. I mean, that's when we're, you know, vengeful and unforgiving and um, refuse to extend God's grace and mercy to others who have sinned against us. We're acting like that wicked servant who was sinned against you know, minuscule in comparison to our sin against God. So, you know, those passages in scripture have really helped um, me and, and helped me to teach others, you know, how to forgive when we've been seriously sinned against. I had interjected that question a moment ago and, and then you, you kind of pulled you off track for a second. Do you remember what you were saying? You had head, you headed back down the road again. Um, I think... You know, what, one of the questions that you had asked was about, um, you know, kind of how, how, how I'd found healing, I think, after my abortion. So, you know, kind of picking back up with where I was when I met my husband, we were in youth ministry, we're serving. Nobody knows the secret that I've got but him, you know, and there, there was definitely you know, a lot of fear for both of us. You know, he really at that time didn't, wasn't sure about me sharing about my abortion with anybody. Um, He was fearful that might cost him his job. And so, you know, it just really hindered. And and there were a lot of things that, you know, was also living off of this fear that's very common for people. women who've had an abortion, which is, you know, God's going to punish me. He's never going to let me have another baby. And so I went into marriage, just like I've lost both my babies. I want a baby so badly. I'm living under this fear that God's not going to let me have any more children. And I'm, I'm just making our marriage miserable because, you know, he's, you know, here he is a a new young youth pastor. He's he's like, please, can we just like, I just want to, you know, focus on, on ministry and, you know, let's see about having a family. And anyway, so it was really, yeah, all those things were really pressing in on our marriage. Enormous and, weight for you to carry. 
Yeah. And I think a lot of, you know, we're in biblical counseling. We have couples that'll come in and their crisis, their marriage is in crisis. Their communication is broken down. They hate each other. There's bitterness. Um, a lot of times one, one of the spouses may be post-aborted. The other one doesn't even know about it. But that underlying anger and depression and bitterness, things that have been undealt with, um, is wreaking havoc on their marriage. So a lot of times I'll encourage biblical counselors like, please, are you putting a question in your, your PDI about whether or not somebody is post-abortive? Uh, because if we're not getting to that, I mean, that taking the life of another human being is at just the core of who we are to, you know, I, I just can't, I I probably can't do it justice in trying to explain how um, deep rooted that feeling is to know that you've taken the life of another image bearer. And so to walk around with that or to try and function in your marriage or your parenting, you know, it can affect how you treat your children, um, good or bad, you know, because you're, you're living off of this past experience. And so that's why, you know, a lot of women and men, will say, well, I've, I've dealt with my abortion. You know, Jesus forgives me. I put that all under the cross. I don't want to bring it up again. But there's all these other underlying things, you know, because we're deep souls. And there's these complexities that surrounded our abortion experience that affected us. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we're suffering from it or we're, we've committed other sins because of it. So then you begin to have all these layers of complexity and everybody just thinks, you know, oh, Jesus has forgiven me for that. And that's great. That's justification. But what about your sanctification? You know, God wants to do a work, a thorough work in your heart to cleanse and heal um, that which has been broken. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're walking around with that brokenness. So um, God graciously led me to uh, a post-abortion Bible study. Uh-huh. And um, where was that? Getting, that was with Healing Hearts Ministries okay. International. So it's healinghearts.org. You can go online and do the Bible study. They have a, a post abortion Bible study called Binding Up the Brokenhearted. And um, you'll walk with, you'll be paired with uh, a trained certified counselor who is also post abortive. So it's really, you know, it's great to have somebody walking with you who's been through some similar struggles. And uh, so, yeah, but once, once I went through that Bible study, it was so, it just got me immersed in the word of God and um, pointed me to specific areas and emotions and things that I hadn't thought about needing to work through. And by the time I got done, uh, my husband just, he was like, you are a completely different woman. I, it's just amazing. And I had this love and hunger for God's word. My time today with Camille has reminded me of another resource she's written, this time a mini book called Pregnancy Crisis. This wasn't the plan. Imagine this. You've recently received some unexpected news. Maybe you took a pregnancy test hoping it would be negative, but it was positive. And perhaps you and your spouse or partner were excited about having a baby together, yet a doctor's visit brought some sobering news 
a poor health prognosis for you or your baby. A life-altering choice is ahead of you. Perhaps you've said to yourself, I'm not sure I can have this baby. Camille wants you to know that God is not dismissive of the situation you now face. He sees you and every single detail of your life and your baby's life, past, present, and future. God knows the details of the circumstances surrounding your pregnancy. He will give you the wisdom and guidance you need to walk through this unexpected path if you will seek his help. And God has a plan for both of you, a plan for you to flourish as you come to know him and walk with him. And you can look to Jesus today because he loves you and cares for you. The mini book, Pregnancy Crisis, This Wasn't the Plan by Camille Cates is available now at newgrowthpress.com. And since this important topic centers around biblical counseling, it's also a good opportunity to remind you about the Ask the Christian Counselor series set. What's included in this growing series? Books like Angry with God, Anxious About Decisions, Build a Stronger Marriage, I Have PTSD, I Have a Psychiatric Diagnosis, I Want to Escape, Moving Forward After Abortion, My Spouse Was Unfaithful, Someone I Know Is Grieving, each of the books in the Ask the Christian Counselor series walks readers through their deepest and most profound questions. These books are useful by counselors in counseling or for those who are taking part in a season of biblical counseling. And they're also useful even for someone who picks it up off the shelf and is interested to learn more about that topic and how biblical counseling may help them to answer these important questions. You can learn more about the Ask the Christian Counselor series set by visiting newgrowthpress.com. What do you think were some of the main changes or differences? And what are the key examples maybe that come to mind for you that when you did the Bible study and you began to dig into this uh, really difficult story that's yours, but you're it kind of exploring it in a, a new biblical way that really stood out to you? I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me and um, too, I want to encourage this is, this is in the book um, moving forward after abortion that's coming out, finding comfort in God um, that's coming out with new, new growth press. Um, you know, one of the things that was just pivotal for me was learning about anchor and, you know, growing up, especially if you grew up in the church, a lot of times we have this wrong thinking that to be angry is sinful. It can be. It often is. Um, but it's not always. And when you've been sinned against, whether it's, you know, uh, somebody's hurt you, sinned against you, like in my case, um, you know, with my daughter being taken from me, um, you've been sexually abused. Um, somebody's cut you off in a relationship uh, unjustly, unfairly, you know, whatever it is where you've been sinned against, we feel anger over that. And it's not always unrighteous anger. It can be righteous anger because God is angry over those things too. And he is righteously angry over them. But then a lot of times we turn around and we sin in our anger, which the Bible tells us not to do. So it's learning, you know, it, it's okay. I think there was freedom in acknowledging I can be angry over what happened to me. I can be angry with him over what happened, but I don't have to respond 
and retaliate in anger. So walking through just different passages that talk about anger and not taking revenge and overcoming evil with good and, you know, um, different things, loving, loving our neighbors, uh, praying and blessing and doing good to others instead of retaliating. All of those things as I was immersed in God's word began to just marinate in my heart and my mind and change and transform. So, and it's very freeing when you know that you can be angry over the things that God is angry over, but you're also called to respond to sin the way that God responds to sin. And that's with, you know, um, a heart that's willing to forgive, to extend forgiveness and, um, you know, to not be bitter and to not uh, hold on to anger. We're, t- we're called to get rid of it. So really working through that um, part alone, there's other reasons people might be angry who are post-abortive. They can be angry with um, the person who pressured them to have the abortion. There was some some bitterness that I had with my parents, you know, for the pressure that they put on me and not helping me. Uh, at one point, I had I'd even told them, like, like, maybe I can, you know, place this baby up for adoption. And, you know, then, then, you know, they kind of told me, well, we, we, we don't think that we can go through that with you. I don't think that's going to be too much for us. So then, you know, that's sin. They sinned against me. So, you know, there's, there's bitterness and there's all these layers. This is part of the complexities that I'm talking about that really need to be worked through so that I could, you know, I came to a point where I could forgive my parents. I chose to forgive them. I were commanded to do that. And, um, but I wanted to, because I saw, uh, the goodness in the gospel, um, in, in that Bible study as well. When you see the love of Christ and his forgiveness for you, you want to extend that, uh, to others. So, um, those are just a couple of the uh, things, um, through that study that were very helpful for me. Yeah, I want to ask you a sensitive question uh, along those lines too. So, as you live your life today, do you do you think that you have? Uh, how can I put this? Do you feel that you have worked through your story thoroughly? After, I mean, you've told this this story a lot to minister to other people. You've obviously had a lot of care, and you've cared for yourself through it. You've talked about that. Uh, or are there still parts of your story that you're processing or? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. I feel like I have worked through the majority of that, you know, occasionally things will come to mind. I think God's just really gracious to do that, that at the proper time, he'll bring up something that may have been forgotten. But because I had that foundation with the Bible study and really learning how to deal with my emotions biblically and how to respond. I knew then how to, I was equipped in how to apply that to these other areas. So, um, but I, you know, I do think it's important to share your story once God has done that, that work and you have sanctification to testify to, to the goodness of God. And, um, you know, for me, I think, uh, you know, one measure I've, I've had colleagues and I've talked about this over the years, uh, you know, I, maybe it's not a hard, fast rule, but I think one measure to, to kind of question and examine yourself, are you really biblically healed from that past and that past abortion is if you're 
you're willing to talk to other people and share your story and you feel no more condemnation. And I think there are still a lot of women and men who, who would say, oh, you know, crisis healed me. I'm good. But if you ask them if they would be willing to share their story, the shame and the fear come back and overwhelm them. And I think that that just kind of demonstrates there's still some work to be done. And so um, I, I would encourage anybody listening, you know, to um, get, get the resource that's coming out, moving forward after an uh, abortion and um, work through some of those things. It's a good, I think it's a good starting. It's not exhaustive. Um, it's not like a full-fledged Bible study, but it's a great um, book to get you to thinking about different areas um, that abortion has touched in your life and how to move forward. And then it also gives more information about healing hearts in that Bible study as well. Yeah. And I appreciate the, you know, the short length, especially in cases where people are really feeling under enormous weight and burden and it can feel overwhelming to be given some long you book can. to read. Yeah. And so the, the, the shortness of such uh, of this book is, is a particular, uh, particular value. Yeah, you could you could read it in a day or two easy. And, you know, it's funny, um, I can write fast, but I read slow. Um, so, so if you're a slow reader like me, I mean, two days, you could get through it really easily. So yeah, earlier, you were talking about the importance of having post-abortive questions questions uh, in a PDI to clarify for listeners. That's uh, like a, a form that you fill out to start counseling where you fill out your information and kind of what, what's going on in your life and you share your story so the counselor can can best help you. But uh, playing off of that, I, I wanted to ask you, just because you mentioned that there are, you know, people who will go to see a, a counselor um, and the counselor may not know that they have this in their past or, uh, or other people, the way that you did initially with your husband at church where no, no one really knew the story. What would you say is, uh, the, the value of coming to a place of being willing to share that with someone and what advice do you give to post-abortive women who are ashamed to share it. They feel they don't have space or someone safe to share that with. And therefore they're kind of carrying, they're carrying this weight on their own. Yeah. Uh, Find somebody in your church, uh, a, a godly woman that you've seen walk in a lot of grace um, and extend a lot of grace in share, share with her, you know, uh, there's, there's so much freedom when we bring things that have been in the dark that we've kept hidden in the dark into the light. Um, there's freedom in that there's, um, you know, I think in some ways it can keep us from basking in the love of Christ. If we're still hiding in the dark, um, those things and one of my favorite Bible verses that encourages us to share our sins with other believers. And I, I would give a little bit of a caveat when you have something that's really heavy and hard um, that you find a trusted um, person, someone who's uh, trustworthy and proven that. But James five sixteen says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. 
then it goes on to say the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. But I just find it so interesting that, you know, in that passage, it talks about confessing our sins, not just to the Lord, but to each other, to one another, so that we can pray for each other, that they, that there may be healing. Um, those things are connected in God's word. And so, you know, there's healing when you're willing to open up and share with somebody who's safe and can be trusted and, and is willing to help you and encourage you. Um, but it's, it's, um, it's too heavy a weight for believers to be carrying around in this earthly life. We're called, Paul calls us to run the race. And I liken um, having an abortion in your past or something else in your past that you're keeping hidden and secret, like having a, a spiritual limp. You know, you're, you, you've got this thing that's, you know, uh, is it Hebrew, Hebrews talks about, um, you know, having the snare and, and the weight that so easily entangles the sin that so easily entangles us. It holds us down. It weighs us down when we could be running um, full force. So I would encourage you, um, it's time. You know, if you're listening to this, you're, you've had an abortion in your past, it's time. The Lord wants you to uh, work through it with Him, find healing, move forward, and um, share your story with someone else who needs to hear it, hear the love of Christ. Amen. The passage that you talked about in James about believers confessing their sins to each other and praying for each other obviously carries into our minds the sense of a culture in which that can happen. And of course, we know that this kind of culture, uh, it grows best in the local church, where churches are able to develop a culture of care that makes it easier. It's never going to be easy, but it's easier for people to share dark or difficult things. And so we want that culture to grow. And of course, we know that that culture doesn't just happen out of nowhere, thin air, but it happens because there are individual people who are driving or welcoming that culture. And so here's maybe a two-part question. One, about the local church in general, and then two, about those individual people. What are the ways that you see, or maybe the way it's happening in your church, where that culture is growing, in particular with reference to post-abortive care? And number two, what could an individual Christian, just like what could a church do to grow that culture, what should an individual Christian who's wanting to be more involved, like my daughter, my second daughter, uh, who is uh, just finishing high school and then moving into college, she's doing some community college dual enrollment stuff. She's she's really becoming passionate about the pro-life movement, and she's becoming involved with other students. So uh, how could an individual like Sophie get involved in that culture? along with churches growing a culture of care in that way? Yeah, those are great questions. Um, I have quite a bit to share uh, on both of those. I Personally, I feel like the church still has a really long way to go in fostering uh, just a a safe space for conversation. I think sometimes we're really, really passionate as we should be for preborn life. And we're against 
things that in the life of an image bearer of God, but the way that we talk about those things in certain circles, you don't know that the person who's listening has an abortion in their past. You know, something that, that might be helpful um, is to really encourage. I think believers get caught up in, and it may be a little mixed up in understanding how to be most effective in the pro-life movement. And I would say to them, I would encourage um, anyone, know your audience. When we're talking about trying to enact legislation that is pro-life, your audience is probably not on your Facebook page. Um, they're not at your church. The, that audience, the people that can help with legislation are your senators, your Congress people, um, who you vote for governor, who you vote for president. You know, that's where that kind of Christians can engage on the civic level to help with, you know, um, laws that are, are more uh, biblical leaning on the issue of pro-life. but And not that you can't have those conversations at church or in your small group, but you just, you just got to know you may lose another audience in your conversation because some of the ways that we talk about the truthfulness of, um, you know, abortion and abortion rights um, can really hurt, further hurt somebody who's listening who isn't biblically healed from their abortion. So I tend to encourage, you know, when we're at church, just to be careful about how we're talking about these things, um, to be sensitive, to try and cultivate some understanding. I think of anything, you know, a lot of people might say, well, you know, Camille, your book's going to be great. I I can't wait to give it to um, somebody that I know that is post-abortive, or maybe I'll come across somebody that's post-abortive. And I would say, no, the the book is for you. You know, so you're talking about at the individual level, I think, you know, I would encourage you to read the book. It's full of not just my story, but other um, people that I've worked with over the years in biblical counseling. And it shares a different, it just shares a perspective of individuals and their circumstances who then encountered the gospel. But um, I think it's going to help really educate and open some eyes help maybe soften the tone a little bit to some of our conversations or give some sensitivity. And, you know, Jesus, Jesus was full of truth and grace, both equally all the time. And I think that's, you know, we're not always um, balanced like he was, but that should be our goal. And so um, I think just, you know, trying to, anytime that you talk passionately about um, pro-life issues to make sure that you also bring in post-abortive care. But I know, you know, but I know that there are people who have made that choice and I want them to know there's hope in Christ. As you talk about the role of that kind of education, obviously it brings to mind a lot of misunderstanding or maybe myths and so I wonder if you could share what, as you see it, are a couple of those misunderstandings or myths about this area of ministry that keep people from engaging in it in that, uh, you know, grace and truth way, in a more biblical way, a compassionate way. What are some of those misunderstandings or myths 
that you, you, you try to work with? I think one of the biggest misunderstandings is what a post-abortive woman looks like um, or a, a post-abortive man. And, you know, a lot of times they, I think the stereotype is, oh, that's, that's somebody out there and, you know, um, maybe their life hasn't gone so well, but, you know, really it's the woman or man who's sitting down the road from you in church. It's your neighbor. It's your pastor's wife. It's your elder in, in your church, you know, and he has a hard time even showing up every Sunday for Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because, you know, he's still hurting. So I think that's kind of the a, a big myth is what um, the post-abortive person looks like um, and what their needs are. So I think that there are Christians who misunderstand what God's word has to say about forgiveness. And one of one of the myths that almost every woman that I've ever sat down with to talk about um, her past abortion was that she believed she needed to forgive herself. And that's a lot of times where people get stuck. Um, well, I know Jesus has forgiven me, but I, I haven't forgiven myself. And that, you know, we don't find that concept or doctrine anywhere in scripture. It is not, it is not there. We're, we're to receive Christ's forgiveness for our sin. And um, sometimes that can be a, a little form of pride or, you know, something I've got to self-atone. Um, for what I've done. And so, you know, they think that they need to forgive themselves. And I, I think that was freeing. I think I came in with that concept as well. We hear it all the time in our Christian songs and in books that people write and, and um, speakers that talk. But, you know, the truth is we just need to receive the forgiveness of Christ. And um, that was completely freeing for me. And uh, I hope that would be freeing for others. Well, Camille, I really am grateful for the way God has used your story, the way that he has uh, redeemed so much hurt and brokenness in your story. I genuinely mean that uh, from Thank my you. heart, and I really value the time that we have gotten to know each other today and prior to today. Uh, but for me to be able to hear more details of your story has been um, sobering and encouraging and helpful to me to minister to people directly and to help others minister to those who are in the greatest need. Uh, so I really appreciate your, your time and friendship and your ongoing ministry and work. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to this important episode of Straight to the Heart. You can learn more about Camille's story, her resources, and her ministry by visiting these websites, healinghearts.org and agrittygospellife.com. Also, be sure to check out Camille's mini book, Pregnancy Crisis, This Wasn't the Plan, as well as Moving Forward After Abortion. And again, thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing these episodes with others. This is Straight to the Heart.